have a problem every year around MLK Day because Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. for some reason has been treated as America's civil rights mascot. On this day, you'll have folks who would have never in their life marched with, agreed with, voted with anything he believed in. One of the biggest bigots in the United States Congress, he had the audacity to send out a Dr. King quote. The march has begun every day we rise like the sun. The President Biden saying he wants to wipe out up to $20,000 in student loan debt. And with the schools and high schools pushing everyone to go to college, but if you're old enough and you're bold enough, you can go into a trade, make a very good living, and have no student debt. So we're going to talk about that. There's over 3,800 plus, 3,800, meaning 3,800 construction jobs in Boston and over 7,000 construction jobs in Massachusetts. On another level, get a pen and pencil. Don't go anywhere. Here's some information for you, and we'll be right back. Great pay, job security, and growth with no student loan debt. Working in the skilled trades may be just what you're looking for. By 2028, more than a million craft professionals will be needed in the residential construction industry. And the demand for well-trained and skilled tradesmen will only continue to grow. This is your chance to earn a great living while building a career in residential construction. Carpenters turn a design into a reality. They work from architectural plans to construct the wooden framing of a building. Electricians install, maintain, and repair the electrical infrastructure of a home, from circuit breakers to lighting fixtures to video, voice, and data. Plumbers install and repair the water systems within a home that run through everything from the kitchen and bathroom to the laundry room to solar hot water. HVAC technicians work for a more sustainable earth. They install and maintain heating, cooling, and ventilation systems throughout a home. Masons are one of the oldest and most respected trades in the building industry. They are craftsmen who work primarily with brick, stone, and tile to create functional art. Painters put the final touches on a home. They paint all interior and exterior surfaces to protect them from damage by water, mold, and corrosion. Drywall installers and ceiling tile installers fit and fasten interior wallboard or drywall into position on wood or metal frameworks using glue, nails, or screws. Building systems technicians perform work involving the skills of two or more skilled trades occupations to reinforce building structures and make repairs. They're the jack of all trades. Welders use hand welding, flame cutting, hand soldering, or brazing equipment to join steel beams and create structural support for buildings and pipelines that carry water and natural gases. Participating in the NEHB Student Chapter Program will give your students an in-depth, hands-on look at all of the building trades and help them develop the leadership skills they need to enter the residential construction field. NAHB.org slash trades to find out more. And so we're back here talking about construction and construction trades. Do you know? So if you were just watching that piece, um, we, we need plumbers, we need electricians, we need people that can do things with their hands. Do you know that having a construction job is listed as one of the number one jobs that you can have that'll make you happy? Who knew? Um, and as I said before you now, I have two identical twin brothers. They're identical to each other, not to me, because that would be triplets. Keep up. Um, one couldn't wait to get out of high school, and he went straight into working for Procter & Gamble and working for laboring positions. And my brother wanted, my other brother wanted to be a doctor. 
Um, I don't know if I was as sure as they were, but I've got three and a half master's degrees and a bachelor's degree an associate's degree, and I'm working on my doctorate. And my brother, who only worked as a laborer, and I don't say only, but it was just like he was very focused. He was tired of school, couldn't wait to get out. And so he went into construction and was an entrepreneur. He and my brother were truckers. My grandfather was a contractor. So I actually went and took some welding classes at Wentworth Institute. So I was a welder for um, a while. And I was making, you know, poised to make a lot of money. There weren't that many women. There still are not that many women in the construction and building trades. Um, but I just got tired of getting burnt by the metal. And I always thought I was too cute you know, to be doing that. However, you can make an excellent living, a very good living, and I know people who are doing that. My brother ended up making six figures working as a longshoreman. And so you can make a good living. Right now, they don't have any computers that can do plumbing or electrical work or HVAC work. Um, they're working on, you can see it in the movies, painters and um, pipe fitters and all this other stuff, but for any of you that own houses or you've had to pay for a tradesman, you know that stuff costs, it costs a lot of money and you can't go without it. If you're a toilet, if you're, especially if you're a homeowner and you've got tenants, the toilet's running, windows are cracked, the heat's not working, those are people. You've got a gar garbage disposal and it's not working, you've got um, steps that need to be fixed. I'm gonna ask my wonderful director um, I can show you some of the work that this man has done for me. And um, there's like before and after. These were my steps. And, um, and there's like about three or four pages. So I want, when I bought this house, I knew, I didn't know that this was stuff that had to be done. And so we bought the house in the wintertime. And, um, and you see that rug that says welcome. Well, that's actually covering some brick that should have been underneath my steps that wasn't. So I bought the house and it looked like they had three full uh, brick steps. But we bought it in the wintertime. And in the spring, the steps on the bottom started to be really dangerously loose. And so a friend of mine who came to do some landscape work actually put that piece of board on the front step, on the bottom step. But as I was trying to get, you can show another page, um, as I was trying to get someone and get bids and get funding and everything to replace these steps and figure out what does it take to get this stuff done, you can see these steps are brick. And there's a wrought iron um, railing to that. So this is pretty intricate in terms of the top porch's board. This is in process when I finally got somebody after talking to at least 10 people and contractors. These are licensed people. And I finally got, it's a, it's a, if you own a house, if you don't have certain, if you have certain safety violations and you don't fulfill the obligations of your homeowner's insurance, you will lose your insurance and you'll lose your mortgage. I mean, that's how serious things are. And so there's an issue when you have someone who is on a fixed income or disabled or elderly, and the cost of everything is going up, but you have to meet this cost. You have to find it somewhere. You can show another picture. And that's the, from the top down, are the finished steps. So remember what it looked like when it was brick. And I had to get these steps done. And so the quotes that were, the quotes that were, um, given to me by um, city agencies or licensed people was any, ranged anywhere from $350 to $3,500. Big difference, depending on what I wanted to do. Um, and so I think we have one, is that the only? So this is the shed that I, I have um, that came with the property. And over time, what I found out was that the codes changed and then through usage things changed and then natural things happened. And those doors started rotting out from the bottom up. So again, I needed somebody that can do that work, not take me to the cleaners and take all of my money, and um, still do a quality job. That's another look at it, when it was even worse. So you can see, you have that, and little critters can go in there. Um, I tried to get uh, places that actually build sheds, and they were like, no, all I needed was the doors. No, no, we're not going to be able to sell you that. You know, the, I'm not going to name the places that people go for the, the do-yourself, do-it-yourself projects, but they wouldn't just sell me the doors, and then there's all these intricacies in terms of how you hang them, physically how you do it, 
Um, is there other damage to the place? And then you could see the, what it looks like now. That's what it looks like now. And so the doors had to be replaced. The shutters on the side had to be replaced. Um, the person that was replacing it actually found out that there was rotting on the other side where the trees were. He replaced that and repainted the whole thing. Looks like a brand new shed. And so when you have a, this is another um, issue that, um, uh, how do I tell you this without getting angry? Somebody damaged my house. Um, this is an in-between shot of getting the tile, but there was a big, huge hole in my wall from someone claiming that they were helping me clean, and they stepped on the soap dish on my wall and created this big, huge hole in the wall. And so I, you have to find someone who's willing to do that and do the tiling. Um, part of my house is over 100 years old, so when you open up the walls or you're fixing something, you don't know what else um, needs to be fixed. And so, and this was another thing, someone ripped the tile rack out of my, my wall. <sighs> and clearly these people, this is it now, it's finished. Like, thank you. <laughs> you gotta find people to be able to do that that are not gonna try to sell you a whole remodeling piece. Um, that are going to do a credible job. And when we opened up, he opened up that wall, there was other stuff that was behind there. Um, and so you need someone who's going to know what they need to do. Um, if there's mold there, what are the, what's the code, the current code? Um, how much does it cost? How they can save you some money. Um, how they can uh, do a quality job and not just do something and take your money and then there's, they hide other problems that are going on with your property, which will devalue your property, whether you're living in it or whether or not you want to sell it, um, whether or not you want to remodel it. I, I just wanted to do like repair. I think there was a couple of other, there was, I think there was a hallway piece. Oh, that's, oh God. Now this is stuff that happened. It didn't happen for me living there as someone else living there. This, I bought the house and the house is really old. So it's like this part of the house is over hundred years old. Someone else put this in there, but this wasn't a deal breaker for me. Like, okay, I've got a hole in the wall. Um, I just need to get that fixed, but I'm not going to not buy a house. This is it finished. This is the same wall. Like, can we show the before again? And there's no, there's no light socket plate, and now after. And you don't, can't even tell there was a hole in the wall. And so, thank you. Um, there was other stuff that had happened, was going wrong. Just from usage, things break. Um, things break, things need to be replaced. You want to keep up the value of your property. So there's stuff that happens inside of your house. Some of it could be dangerous or hazardous. There's stuff that happens outside of your house where everybody can see, and um, it could be dangerous or hazardous or just it looks horrible. And so there are people, since I have owned this house, been in this house, not a week goes by that someone's not trying to buy my house. I don't know how many of you people have seen, oh, we buy ugly houses or, you know, if you're in Boston, anywhere in Boston, anywhere in Massachusetts, people want to buy your property. They want to buy your property. And if you have a lot of property, they're looking at the investment potential. Um, I remember places that were seriously in the hood in gang territory and nobody wanted to live there. They didn't even want to drive through there. And right now, trying to get an affordable apartment in anywhere in Boston or Metro Boston, you're talking about anywhere from three, for one bedroom, $3,000 to $3,500 a month, a month, multiplied by 12. And if you're not making that money, that explains why so many lower income and people of color are leaving Boston. They're moving from Boston. And let me tell you the ripple effect of that. First, you've got the trauma of not being able to live and afford a house where you've grown up and where you were born and maybe your grandparents and your parents are from. So the community is being disrupted. Then you have the issue of voting power. If you want a democracy that truly represents the people that live there, but you're making it difficult, if not impossible, for people to live there where they know the neighborhood, they know the politics, they know the people, then how do you fairly have a democracy where everybody's voice is heard if you're pushing them out? Then you have the situation where people are moving away and if they have kids, then it reduces the population for the public school system, which means 
that you don't have enough money to go around because you still have to operate these buildings. You still have to provide goods and services and resources for the students who are still there. So there's this whole ripple effect of not being able to have affordable housing um, or an adequate jobs, or when you have this ridiculous amount of uh, cost of housing and you're putting up so-called affordable housing, where are these people going to work to be able to afford this housing so you're stabilizing the community? So that people know their neighbors, so that they care about their neighbors, so maybe, just maybe, so many people wouldn't be getting shot. So many people wouldn't be getting assaulted. Resources were coming into the community because the neighborhood associations are holding the community, the city officials, the elected officials accountable. That's just how it goes. If you are an elder, there are services that you can get just because you survived and you're still around. But what happens is that a lot of um, people who are elders, if you own a house, then you may not necessarily be physically able to up, to um, keep up in your property. So you can call 311 at City of Boston and ask for elder services. It was the Council of Elders, now it's aging gracefully. There's a bunch of names. But there are different programs that you can avail yourself of just because you are an elder and you're a senior. Um, there are some elected officials that are very good in be, being very responsive about that. But there are federal programs, city programs, and state programs to help keep you in your home. Uh, city Life is one organization that fights for uh, tenants' rights and homeowners' rights. Mostly they're famous for tenants. So um, uh, Greater Boston Legal Services, uh, RAFT, I forget what RAFT stands for, but during the pandemic in particular, but even before the pandemic, if you were in danger, a person, tenant, was in danger of losing their, their place that they were living in, uh, and you had the documentation to prove that you are in danger of being evicted, you go down to RAFT and you apply for it, it's income-based, and during the pandemic in particular, because people weren't being able to work, the federal government set aside a certain amount of money and you could try to get that money to stay in your house because it actually costs more to displace a person um, in terms of, of their family, mental illness, um, all that stuff that goes along with displacing people. Now, we're not as bad as Los Angeles. I think Los Angeles has over 40,000 homeless. That's a lot. That's a lot of people. For those of us that um, may live near Mass and Cass, you've got additional issues. So you have people that are not only homeless, but may possibly be addicted or have mental issues. And so there's an initiative by the city to put up more affordable housing and shelters as we approach. Like right now, we've only had a very minor um, snowstorm. It's minor to us if you have a place to stay. It is major if you live on the street. Any kind of inclement weather, especially freezing temperatures, um, anybody's been homeless, and if you have other layering problems of why you can't secure shelter, it could be life-threatening. Um, last year, when Mayor Wu had just gone into office, um, she actually, she had a cleanup of the Mass and Cass area, and they actually found a couple of dead bodies in some of those tents. So that happens, and um, one of the ways that is uh, quarry friendly um, is to be able to get a job in the trades. Now, if you're old enough and you remember during the schools, in schools, back in the day, they had home economics and they had shop. They were really kind of sexist about shop, though, I'm not gonna lie, based on gender. Like, they sort of delegated. If you're female, you go to home economics. If you're male, you go to shop. Um, I wasn't interested, but neither one of those, neither one of those are now in the schools. So at the early ages of elementary school, um, everybody is being tracked to go to college. Guess what? Everybody's not suited to go to college. Um, some people are very gifted with their hands. They're very happy with their hands, and we need those people. But they're not being given that option in terms of the educational track because there's so much money that's being made by colleges and universities. I'm just telling you the truth. Um, so we need to bring that back into the schools along with civics so that we know what democracy really means. And then give people the opportunity to stay out of debt. If they want to have an education, 
there's a certain thing that needs to happen. Uh, Pell grants were used to be available. There used to be other government grants that were available, and the government decided to cut back on Pell grants. The universities and colleges uh, kicked up, you know, 100, sometimes 100 percent, 200 percent, in some cases 300 percent the cost of tuition with no um, guaranteed return on investment. So if you're investing in your education, you're investing in your child's education, there's no guarantee they're going to get a job in that major. There's no guarantee that they're going to be able to, even if they get that job, that they'll have a living wage. But there's a guarantee that you'll have a student loan afterwards and guaranteed that they'll come after you and they can also garnish your wages up until death. You can't get rid of the, that student loan debt um, even through bankruptcy like you can other debts. And so that's part of the issue that President Biden is trying to put forward um, and also fulfill a campaign promise about dealing with student debt. Uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren and Congressman Ayanna Presley are actually have gone around Massachusetts about a month or so ago talking about student debt and because there was a deadline that you have to apply for it and now the GOP has actually stopped it in certain states in certain courts saying that this is unconstitutional and we're not going to let this forward. These millionaires are telling us, you know, you don't need help from the government to get out of debt. But there are structural problems, there's uh, racial equity issues, there's class issues that have to be addressed if we're really going to be fair and give people a shot at the American dream. If you just tuned in, my name is Sharon Hinton. We're going to be taking phone calls when we come back from the break. 617-708-3280, the 617-708-3280. And I want to talk about a couple of things. One is, what do you think about the construction trades? And how are we going to deal with student debt? My name is Sharon Hinton. We're on another level, and we'll be right back. What I'm here for today is a, about People's Academy. T. Michaels is a, a man that I know has came up with a vision that is good for the community, good for our educational points, and it's good for careers for our youth. My name is City Councilor at Large Michael Flaherty. I'm here to tell you that there's an economic development boom happening in Boston, uh, but there's a disconnect between that hope and opportunity, particularly with construction projects. Anyone can learn this. It's not just for young people. I know some of the older people in the community could do this but it gives us so many options in life. If you don't live in the inner city, your federal tax dollars are still helping people to stay on the system, keeping them incarcerated. Imagine if they teach them a trade. Where would they be? Where would they be? I am Tony Silva. I'm a local 17 sheet metal worker. And, um, I'm a testimony and I'm in the process of buying a home. So everything he taught me has helped me out a lot to build my own. Academy means to me and for the city, first of all, it saves lives and then it creates careers. The Academy is something that our community needs. And it's also giving opportunities to kids who uh, wouldn't necessarily be able to get into the union. T. Michaels is a welder, he's mm -hmm. a sheet metal worker by trade. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, th th there's a good, it's good to get a good diversity of job opportunities out mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know a lot of people talk about building trades. He's actually, what he's doing is actually more, more than the building trades. It's a skill, it's an art. The People's Academy is going to train them on how to be builders. People are sitting here struggling, worrying about paying bills, rent, support, whatever it is. The People's Academy is the opportunity. The opportunity to do better. The opportunity to accomplish. The opportunity to be proud of yourselves, to be proud of what you can do, to be proud of your accomplishments. Support the People's Academy, and you will be supporting yourselves, supporting your family, supporting your community, and most of all, supporting your country. You know, education is number one. It's amazing what uh, T. Michael is doing. He's investing time in to, to some of our young people. So that kind of opportunity 
creating jobs, investing in our local citizens and residents, uh, that's what we need to make the city stronger as a whole. Uh, T. Michael definitely makes you feel 100% comfortable, right. um, even being a woman here, even though this is a man's trade. We worked off of what I have seen him do on site uh, with some projects that he's built with us previously. So I had a good understanding of what he was trying to accomplish. Here we are today in Brookline, Massachusetts, a beautiful suburbs, and I'm here with one of the students showing them some of the work that the People's Academy have done in the past. For the people, by the people. It's time. This needs, needs to happen. We need some help. We have a small impact with such little. Imagine if we had a little more. We can do so much more and help so much more. So yeah, my, um, my, all of my time has been voluntary. It's tough, but I can't, you know, I can't give up. What does a person have to do to get some help? What more does this man have to do to access resources? You see the evidence. You heard from T. Michael. You see the students. You heard from the city councilors. Children are dying out here all across America. Poverty is very real. Support the People's Academy. This is war on poverty. So welcome back to On Another Level. Um, for those of you that know me, um, I'm the one that roots for the people that need some extra help, need some support. T. Michael Thomas and the People's Academy have actually, they own land that's on Warren Street, directly across from the old Technical High that's the Boston Latin School, on the corner of Quincy and, uh, Quincy and Warren Street. So there's a, there's a building right there that used to be an old firehouse. It's the Roxbury Multi-Service Center. But there's right behind there and right next to there is a vacant lot. And that is the proposed home for the People's Academy. Um, I've known T. Michael Thomas for seven or eight years now. And he's in the process of fundraising to be able to provide um, a legacy, to be able to provide the opportunity for people to learn trades and construction um, training, construction trades training, and he's a black man. He is the leading copper artist in the United States right now. He's gotten awards for it. He's gotten all sorts of things for it. When I looked at some of the history of construction, right, this is how far back it goes. Basically, it goes so far back that we're still digging up buildings that people have built, that man has built. So it talked about Mesopotamia and evidence that the earliest, the earliest evidence of large-scale buildings is in Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia is Africa. Dun, dun, dun. So just that you know that. In addition to dwellings, the Mesopotamian, Mesopotamians built palaces, temples, and ziggurats. Don't ask me what a ziggurat is. I didn't look that up often using advanced bricklaying techniques. Mesopotamia is also home to civilization's oldest known roads. In the cities of Ur and Babylon, archeologists uncovered paved roads dating back to 4,000 BC. 4,000 BC, United States has only been here for a little bit more than 400,000, which were primarily used for trade. Ancient Egypt, Greece, Rome, and China also made significant advances in construction. The pyramids of Egypt, the temples of Greece, and the imperial palaces of China continue to marvel and inspire us to this day. Imhotep, who lived circa 2650 to 2600 BC, is often regarded as the first known engineer and architect. Again, Africa. The 50,000 mile long Roman road system stretched from Britain to Syria and was remarkable because of the Romans' obsession with creating the straight, straightest possible routes between cities and their massive empire. And where did they learn that? Africa. So I'm just saying, you know, we have had these trades around forever, but now there seems to be this um, 
lack of emphasis on something that we've been doing and human beings have been doing since the beginning, that human beings needed something over their head or something around them to shelter um, or keep you safe. And so um, right now in the city of Boston, over 60% of the school buildings were built before World War II. That's a long time ago. And so when we encountered COVID, the problem with the buildings was that those buildings weren't built to be able to provide the ventilation and the airflow to keep people healthy. Um, and it became more emphasized because of COVID. And so we realize, we've been realizing for a long period of time that we need tradesmen to be able to build up these buildings. Boston is also one of the oldest cities. So anybody who's from here has seen here, pictures of here, you see the brownstones, you see all these buildings with the copper on the top or with the brick buildings. So, and anybody who's owned a building that's kind of um, weathered and experienced, you know that codes have changed, you have to upgrade things, you have to, stuff gets old and it breaks down and you have to repair it if you wanna maintain it. Um, and anybody who's actually ever bought anything a long time ago, I, whether it was a television or electronics, even though certain electronic places want you to upgrade every single year, um, I had a TV that was given to me in college. And the only reason why I couldn't still use that TV after 25 years was because digital television came in. And then I bought a digital antenna and it still worked. So things were built to last. Look at the bridges that are around, the railroads that are around, a lot of the things that are around. Now those are over 100 years of beginning to crumble. But if you look at the wall, Great Wall of China, you look at the castles in different European places, you look at the pyramids, they're still here. Tens of thousands of years later, those buildings, those structures, those entities are still here. And so we need people to be able to build something that's gonna last. Repair something that's good and up to code for safety, but we are not training people to be able to do that in this country or in the city. And so when we have people in the city of Boston who need jobs, and these jobs are good paying jobs to feed their families, to earn a decent wage, not going to debt and build wealth, these are not being emphasized. And you turn around and you look and a lot of these construction people are coming from out of state, out of the, out of the city and out of state when you have people here that could use those jobs, we just need the training. 617-708-3280. Um, we have a phone caller here. Can you tell me? Oh, we had a phone caller here. Can you tell me where you're calling from and your question or your comment, please? He'll call back. Um, so, and I'm also trying to get a phone call and waiting for a phone call from T. Michael Thomas, who, who is the um, founder and the chief craftsman, tradesman, um, teacher, lead instructor of the People's Academy. He teaches and trains people in, um, oh, I don't know what happened with that, in uh, <laughs> sheet metal, pipe fitting, copper artistry, carpentry. And he actually was instrumental in getting, um, I think over 30 people in the electrical union. He is a member of the unions, but he, was a, he is about training um, people in marketable skills so that they don't have to go back to jail or to keep them from jail. So a lot of the construction jobs are very quarry friendly. You can be a carpenter and a plumber and have a quarry. A lot of the jobs that are in offices, a lot of the jobs that are being offered now, you cannot. They won't let you into these jobs. If you are convicted of certain kinds of charges, um, drug-related charges, you cannot, get, uh, you cannot get student loans. You cannot get student loans. And if that's known, a lot of the schools don't even want you on their campus. In addition to you gaining student debt. So that's a problem. Um, 617-708-3280. My name is Sharon Hinton. Um, I'd be interested in getting some phone calls for people who are actually in the trades and how you got into the trade, or if you're in the union or not. You do not have to be in the union to be an entrepreneur. Uh, my brothers had their own trucking company, and so they had, um, a they had the long haul, the rigs. 
and one of them worked for the Postal Service, so he had long hauls, and the other one, like I said, was doing um, longshoreman work. So these big, huge rigs, there's a certain amount of training that you need. Oh, we have a phone caller. Hello, caller. Give me your name and where you're calling from, please, and your question or comment. Hey, Jackie, I'm calling from Washington. I wanted to comment, and mm -hmm. my comment goes like this. <laughs> yes, construction is always going to be a high-demand job. It will never go away because last time I checked, the world needs builders, plumbers, electricians, and so on. No, minimum job comes and goes, but construction is here to stay. Also, when it comes to education, I cannot stress this enough. It is the job of the parents or single parents to teach their child or kids about life, not the school. The school can build what the parents, where the single parent or parents left off in the child or kid's mind. But now, since the market of the schools have become more of a babysitting class than when originally met uh, to educate and mold the youth of the minds uh, for future generations, it has become a complete disaster. And yes, I did read your piece in this past Bay State banner about being on being on the school committee. You had three times, uh, I'm sorry, you had three tries, and sadly, uh, they didn't pick you up uh, with sucks. Uh, and I want to also say that the student learning debt is, yeah, I know it's a messed up system, but it does suck so that people who go to college get that degree and end up in debt. But last time I checked, the, the degree is a piece of paper with your name on it. It gave the skills that you went to college for that gets you where you need to go. I'm sorry, I'm old fashioned. I don't I didn't go to college and I have a high school education. And I'm happy where I'm at today, yeah? And building wealth is important, but let's be let's be honest, huh? it's not life. Huh? Last time I checked, life is about being happy, enjoying yourself, huh? making sure that you're not hurting anybody huh? and have, and making sure that your kids, 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 kids and so on also have a nice Comfortable, wealthy style. That's how I see it. Though. Yeah. Thank you so much for your, for your comment. Thank you so much. Um, so there's so much stuff that you said. <laughs> Excuse me. There's so much stuff that you said to unpack it. <clears throat> I just um, this past week actually put an op-ed piece in the Boston Banner, so thank you, Boston Banner, for it's my first op-ed piece ever, talking about the school committee. And so the title was, Boston School Committee Selection, It's a Stacked Deck, The House Always Wins. And I basically talked about my experience trying to get on, four times trying to get on the Boston School Committee, and actually chime into um, a body, get into a body that I thought was important, and, but I also talked about the fact that it's elected. It's, not a, it's, it's appointed. It's not elected. And Boston is the only city where the school committee is elected. And I'm also old enough to remember when it was all elected and all appointed. And both of them had positives and negatives for different reasons. But if over 300 and... I don't know the exact number, but over 300 school committees in Massachusetts are all elected, and Boston is the capital city, and it's the only city where the Boston School Committee is not elected. So if you trust, and by the way, November 2021, there was a non-binding referendum on the ballot, and over 99,000 people voted for the school committee to return back to elected. So um, that is being ignored by our current mayor, and um, she's appointing people left and right. She appoints the nominating committee that interviews and recommends the person to replace school committee members, and then the mayor appoints who that person is. The school committee is all appointed by the mayor. The nominating panel is all appointed by the mayor. 
The mayor appoints the school committee and the wheel goes round and round. And then the superintendent of schools is interviewed and has a search committee appointed by the mayor, influenced hopefully by the school committee, but what was appointed by the mayor. And then the mayor decides and the school committee decides who they're going to hire as superintendent, but there's not necessarily the checks and balances because they're all appointed by the mayor. So anyway, that's an op-ed piece that I had in the banner, and it's Boston School Committee selection. <laughs> it's a stacked deck, and the house always wins. The house is the mayor. The house is the system. The house is the process that continues to put people in positions of power without checks and balances for too long, and the people suffer, and the house wins, and the parents and the students and the teachers lose. That's my name. That's my opinion. I did it. If you don't like it, you can comment on it. You can write your own op-ed. Anyway, we're going to take a short break. My name is Sharon Henson. We're talking about trades and bring, bringing trades and the opportunity to work in a trade back into the public schools so that people and students know that this is a valuable opportunity and option. Right now we have Madison Park um, that is the, the regional technical vocational school for this area. The last time I've, I, I checked, it's only at half capacity. So it's not even fully, um, it's not even fully, fully staffed. It's not even fully uh, filled up with students. It's at half capacity. And it has been problematic for the longest time. So at one point, it was a, a flagship kind of a school. You could go there and get um, instruction in all sorts of different trades and automotive and cooking, culinary arts, and all this other stuff. Nah, that's not what's happening. In the meantime, uh, Benjamin Franklin has been able to acquire property in Nubian Square, which already had a building that was in the Back Bay, South End. And then you have an organization, a school, the People's Academy, that's in Dorchester by a man who, a black man who grew up, it is in Dorchester, and um, he's having the lack of support that these other institutions don't have to deal with. Uh, Boston Latin, which is the oldest public school in the country, has actually an endowment fund that rivals any other place. I think it, right now it's 65 million and counting that alumni and fundraising has happened and they don't have to share it with any other Boston public school or anybody else in the system. So you can see the inequities. What's available for all of our kids? What's available for some of our kids? And what should be available for anybody? Whether they're, because they're all our students and they're all our kids. My name is Sharon Hinton. We're taking phone calls at 617-708-3270. 3280, I'm sorry. 617-708-3280. We'll be back for a few more moments on another level. Uh, coming back to you in a second. On Saturday, peace and joy filled the room as loved ones and friends gathered to pay tribute to beloved local musician Jay Scott Henderson. Jay was the founding member and lead guitarist of Jamaica Plain-based blues rock band Red House. What drew people to Jay was not only just his charm, uh, but it was also his, uh, his way of talking to people. He had transformed his life into being a loving, compassionate person. And that he gave to everybody uh, that he met regardless. And so he attracted a lot of friends because of his heart, because of his understanding of human nature and his forgiveness for himself and for anybody else. Red House excited Boston with their fusion of funk, rock, and blues since the mid-1980s. And Jay's passion for music shone through in their many performances at Green Street Station in Jamaica Plain. J. Scott Henderson was more than just a great musician. He was a unique human being. I'd never met anybody as open as Jay was. He had an eclectic choice of music and he had an eclectic choice, choice of friends. Jay was the kind of person that when you spoke with him, you felt like you were the only person on the planet. He gave you his undivided attention. And also, 
you felt obligated to give Jay yours. Jay's kind heart and loving spirit was magnetic, and his friends and family will miss his gracious presence. It was only fitting that they honored his memory with a concert. Jay's smile was so magnetic, and his energy, he was more concerned, even while he was fighting cancer and battling cancer, he was more concerned about his family and friends. And being a phenomenal musician is one thing, being a black man in rock and roll is another thing, but also as um, just a human being that really cared for his family and cared for his friends. And it showed through his music and it showed through his heart and it showed through the way he talked to everyone. Jay passed away on September 4th while battling cancer, but his compassionate energy lives on through his loved ones and music. And now we're back for a few more moments. Um, can we bring up the, um, the card for AK, A&K, does it all. Earlier in the program, I showed you some before and after pictures. I want to give the person credit for who did all of this work. That's his number. Um, if you're interested and you've got stuff around your house that needs to be fixed, he says carpenter, but he's a fix-it man that did a lot of different stuff. A lot of it was carpentry, but it wasn't all carpentry related. And that's the number. His name is Archie. And uh, you can get a hold of him. If you've got stuff, I know people are, thank you. I know people, um, as you spend more time in your house, you're going to be doing it in the wintertime. You're going to see, oh, I need this and I need that. I have to, I have to confess to you that um, I hadn't realized how much dysfunction and, and, and brokenness that I had just um, learned how to like live with. You know what I'm saying? Like I had a light over the stove that was out. I didn't know how to fix it. And I got so used to it not being there that I didn't um, think about it because there there's bigger stuff that had to go on, like the steps in the inside of my hallway, which you didn't see that, but there was, my ceiling had dropped. The drop ceiling had totally dropped. And it was because of a leak that was in the roof. So you can try to fix that, um, but when you buy a house, you know, you're supposed to have an inspector come out and look at everything, and then you can negotiate with the, with the seller and say, look, you know, I want to buy the house, I'm pre-qualified and everything, but that's going to cost me a lot of money, um, so can you give me a break? Like, you can, can you cut off uh, this amount of money because it's going to cost me that amount of money to fix this, and it's major stuff. Before we could buy our house, uh, we found out that the electricity wasn't up to code. So we had to pay almost $4,000 to get all the electricity up, up to code. So basically we wouldn't die and the house wouldn't become a fire trap. So it's one thing to be able to do that and, and having your own property is a way to pass on wealth. Um, so when you're doing that and you're doing that generationally, people borrowed, we're talking about education and learning. A lot of people were able to borrow against their homes to be able to finance their child's education or their education. Um, because of racism and discrimination and segregation, African-American families in this country have had a harder time being able to try to do that because literally we were, um, literally we were discriminated against and killed if we wanted to, to live someplace else that we could afford. Um, upward mobility, pass on this wealth, pass on property to your kids. And so literally the projects came about because there were certain areas that were segregated and black folks, literally you were taking your life in your hand if you wanted to live there. There was also the situation where, um, and so researchers show when you pile people on top of each other like that, it, it's not a good thing. There's also, um, there was legislation that was happening. There were this history, historically in this country, black folks were killed if you did not stay in your place. And staying in your place meant that you had to live in a certain place, you had to walk in a certain place, black women had to cover their hair. There's all sorts of stuff that you could find out about. And it doesn't have to be Black History Month. And then there was redlining that banks did, literally, even if you had the money. And um, there were banks that refused, and brokers, and there's a real estate agency, they refused to show black people certain properties. They refused to show you that or try to discourage you from it, or charge you more money, or like in current days, you own property, but because you're in a black neighborhood or you're black, your property is not valued as much. So it's a layered and a multi-layered problem 
part of it is education. You need to, you know, when you know better, you'll do better, hopefully. But then also it's the activism and being able to be a registered voter and doing something about that. Next year is still an election year. It seems like every year in Boston. Get registered to vote. City council people are up. Um, if your city council person has been great, then support them, give them money, vote for them, work in the campaign. If they weren't, then you do the opposite. If you can't find anybody, maybe you should be the one to run for office. Um, I want to thank my friend Edwin Sumter and also Rich Rosenthal for that piece that we just saw, and Jay Henderson Scott. I was there, obviously they interviewed me, but we're losing a lot of people. This is toward the end of the year, this year. A lot of people didn't make it this far. There may be some people that go to sleep tonight and don't wake up tomorrow. There may be some people that go to, go to sleep and they just don't make it into the new year. We're losing people, we're losing a lot of young people. So again, I will say Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, if you celebrate that. Um, Juma Mubarak, and also take care of yourself and your health, mask up. I'm also one that's saying that we should have a two week, at least full masking mandatory in public schools because people are gonna be traveling and all over the place with their families and coming back to school and people are still getting sick and we have a teacher shortage now. So we need everybody fully healthy, fully blessed, fully prosperous, Lord willing, I will see you in the new year. Take care of yourself and each other. God bless. This is On Another Level. Civil rights mascot. On this day, you'll have folks who would have never in their life marched with, agreed with, voted with anything he believed in. One of the biggest bigots in the United States Congress. He had the audacity to send out a Dr. King quote. The march has begun every day. We rise like the sun. We fight. Till the battle is won Can you hear the footsteps listen Cause we're coming like a gang on the street So you better start running It's time for some action now Historical progression Generations march in succession Through 400 years Hate, blood, sweat, and tears And counting The resistance is mounting Generation of fighters, when it gets hard, we charge. 